Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. This week we hear from the Reverend Maggie Foote as she preaches from the lectionary, which was Mark chapter 8, 27 to 38. As always, you can find more sermons or more information about All Souls on our website, which is allsoulsparish.org. Hope to see you around sometime. Jesus' words and actions is picking up. You can feel it when you read the gospel according to Mark. We're now in chapter 8. Since the reading we heard last week about Jesus' encounter with the Syrophoenician woman, he's performed another miracle feeding of 4,000 people. He's done some more healings, and he's had a few strongly worded encounters with some of the people he finds hanging around him. They want to know who he is. They want a sign. They want proof that he is indeed the Son of God. All the while, Jesus is inching closer day by day to the cross. And he has a lot to say before he gets there. He knows it's coming too. He tells Peter and the others that he must undergo much suffering, be rejected by the authorities, and be killed and then resurrected three days later. As you can imagine, Peter doesn't really welcome that news. He doesn't want to hear it. It's reminiscent of the calamity and destruction that woman wisdom talks about in our reading from Proverbs this morning. She says calamity will come to those who don't listen and heed wisdom's words. In his own way, I feel like Jesus is getting at the same thing. He has his own way of saying it, but ultimately he and woman wisdom, the street prophet speaking out in the marketplace, are on the same page. Time is running out for them to get their message out and for people to start to listen and understand what they're saying. It's a matter of life and death. Jesus knows it. Woman wisdom knows it. How long until you wake up and pay attention? But Jesus rebukes Peter because he hears Jesus but refuses to listen. He can't get past the shock and horror, the calamity of Jesus' impending suffering and death. This isn't how it's supposed to end. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who is meant to bring deliverance and victory to his people, not someone who's supposed to be executed by those in power. But Jesus rebukes Peter, not because Peter doesn't know that Jesus is the Messiah, but because he doesn't understand what kind of Messiah Jesus is. I think this is where Jesus starts to take a turn. First, he accuses Peter of being too focused on human things and not divine things. Then I imagine him narrowing his eyes, taking a deep breath, and continuing on. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. But are these really the divine things that Jesus tells Peter he needs to focus on? Because all of that sounds pretty human to me. 
In fact, this sounds like Jesus is telling Peter and us exactly what it takes to be a human being in this world who is committed to following Jesus. And how much is at stake when we do it? I'd argue that maybe we should actually spend a little more time thinking of this in human terms, as human things. What good does it do for anyone to claim Jesus as Messiah, but not to understand what sort of life that calls them to? That's what brings calamity, actually, claiming Jesus as the Messiah, but not taking up our own crosses and living as if he really is. But this is where it starts to get really hard for at least two reasons. The first is that Jesus tells us to take up our own crosses, crosses and follow him. But how do we distinguish between the cross of Christ and the burdens of our own making? Just because something is difficult or it feels unfair, is that the cross of Christ? How do we know when we're experiencing not just cost, but costly grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call it. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. Grace isn't costly because we have to earn it, but it's costly because of what receiving it requires of us. These are the divine things that Jesus tells Peter he needs to set his mind to. When we know it's the cross of Christ when ultimately it leads to more life. Even if carrying it kills us. Well, this brings me to the second thing that I think it makes taking up our own crosses and following Jesus so hard. Because in the way in which Jesus describes it in this passage, it almost makes it sound like it's an individual exercise. Which in a way it is, certainly, Each one of us must commit personally to taking up the cross of Christ and following Jesus. But following Jesus inherently means buying into the idea of the reign of God. And there is nothing more communal than that. Jesus leads us directly into the heart of common life together. Or maybe he leads us directly into one another's hearts. The reign of God is a reality towards which Christians, followers of Christ, orient our lives. And its hallmark is life itself. Flourishing, abundant, multiplying life for all of creation. And we'll know that we're carrying the cross of Christ when we know that what we carry brings us closer to that ultimate reality. Even if the temporal reality through which we walk is painful or difficult or unfair, or deadly. We're called to carry the cross of Christ and follow Jesus, living as if the reign of God is present in our world already, right here and now. And we do that not only for the people who have also committed to do the same, but for everyone, even those who, act against, who actively work against the principles of the reign of God. All the while trusting in Jesus, that it actually matters. I was talking to a friend who's a community organizer recently about this idea, and she encouraged me to think about it in terms of an ecosystem. She puts it like this. If we collectively are able to operate from a particular commitment, 
we can make a particular intervention in the spaces that we're involved in. So how does the way in which we intervene in a particular ecosystem have ripple effects? Well, this makes me think actually of Jordan Court, the new housing project next door. And the way all Solzians conceptualize what it means to take up their cross and follow, follow Jesus and how it led them to taking a risk and bearing a burden that is costly financially for sure, but also in terms of this church's relationship with the surrounding neighborhood. But also trusting that it will ultimately lead to more life and the flourishing of people who may not be flourishing under their current conditions. Of course, Jordan Court is a massive and very visible example of this, but it happens in big and small ways in each of our lives. Participating in common life with an orientation toward the reign of God can be as simple as fulfilling our civic duty and voting for policies that value human life, or breaking bread with someone who needs a meal or just some company, or giving our own money to causes who live as if they are oriented toward the reign of God, whether they call it that or not. It often feels risky to put ourselves out there and offer ourselves in that way, particularly when we don't know people very well. But what we lose in taking a risk for the sake of the gospel comes back to us in signs of new life. When each one of us is called to take up our own cross and follow Christ, we enter into a communal relationship with other followers of Christ who are oriented toward the reign of God and committed to living as if it is already here. And when enough of us do that, there's no limit to the ripple effects we could have on our ecosystem. Because an orientation toward abundant life essentially precipitates justice, equity, mercy, and the flourishing of all people. Mm -hmm.